if you'd like to take your seats. If you do have a Bible with you, um, I'm going to be making reference to Matthew uh, chapter 6, and it's what we familiarly call the Lord's Prayer. So I'm just going to speak for a few moments about this part of the Bible and how that applies to us today in modern Scotland. Uh, uh, My hope is that perhaps it will help us make sense of life a little bit more. Statistically, most of you in this room will have prayed at some point in your lives. Now, either you've prayed before in the past, maybe you're praying now, oh Lord, I hope this guy's not going to go on too long. (laughs) Maybe you're praying in the future. Maybe it's the time when things look bleak that you're most likely just just to chuck something out there and say, just in case you're there, God, help me. Over the last few weeks in this church, we've been looking at this topic of prayer. And in particular, we've been looking at what you might well know of as the Lord's Prayer. And some of you in this room might know that off by heart from growing up or Sunday school or things like that. And and today we get to this curious little part that says, deliver us from evil. What does deliver us mean? Well, the Bible actually most commonly means this, rescue. Christians refer to themselves quite often as saved. And that might seem a little bit arrogant to you or just a bit weird. You know, what are you saved from? Maybe you feel that you don't need rescue. Maybe this even offends you a little bit. Because effectively what it's saying is that you're, you're not enough on your own to help yourself. You're, you're weak. You're limited. You're not good enough in your behaviour or your character. That's why it seems to offend, because to say I'm saved means that I was this and now I'm this. Or I was behaving this way and now I'm behaving this way. But actually the thing that offends you is that if Christians say they're saved, what they're saying is you need to be saved too. And that's what is offensive. And I understand that. I do understand that. Maybe, maybe your perception is that Christians all think they're a bit better than you. These two don't think that. <laughs> and that's, that's probably because at some point we've given you that impression. So if you're, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer today and you're in here, uh, perhaps in church for the first time and you're kind of wondering what this is all about, perhaps, perhaps at some point some Christians around you have projected that sort of self-righteousness, have projected that kind of like holier-than-thou kind of image well, let me level the playing field by saying that I'm a complete and utter chump. It's true. I'm an idiot. I, I get angry when somebody cuts me up. I do. And, and sometimes, when that happens, I swear. I don't, I don't like to make a habit of it. But you know, guys, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because it's a guy thing more than a lady thing, I think. But, you know, that, that idiot cuts you up in front. And, and, like, I can blow the horn for a literal five minutes in anger. It's like, you know, they've gone. I've turned off. I'm in the service station. I'm still hitting the horn. I, I fight dirty if I am trying to protect my own image or my reputation. I, I don't do what I know is to be good. And I do this stuff that I know is just ridiculous and wrong. The way that I respond to people, the way that I react, the way that I behave if I'm pushed into a corner, I come out fighting. And I might, I'm a, come on guys, I'm a bit little, I'm not going to come out fighting and swinging fists, but I'm going to come out fighting with a vicious tongue. And I've known Christians 
who are far worse behaved than some of my non-Christian friends. And I've met some non-Christian people whose care, compassion and love and acts of goodness are far better than anything that I could do. So it's really not about how good you are. And going back to this phrase, rescue, being saved, it's really not about how good you are. I wonder if you've come across this series. I think it's on the BBC called Saving Lives at Sea. Anyone seen that? It it tracks the RNLI around the country and and it basically puts body camera footage onto the telly of them doing these amazing, daring rescues. It shows some really dramatic footage and what always impresses me is the fact that it's so easy to get into trouble in the middle of the sea. And even if you're one of those people who has all the gear and you've done everything right, and you know you've been seafaring for years, and you know what the sea is like, and you know how to handle it, even then, people get into trouble in the sea. And when they get into trouble in the sea, they cannot help themselves. Their ability to help themselves is limited, and they need rescue. They're left totally at the mercy of either the sea or the people that are coming to rescue them. They're they're always relieved to be rescued, even if they're a little bit embarrassed by it. I would be embarrassed that I got into difficulty in the first place because I'm a guy and I want to get it right first time every time. And I don't want somebody to come to my aid and help me out. And I don't want somebody to come to me and say, I'm not doing this well enough or I've made this mistake or life just got the better of me because it offends my pride. Listen, there'll be at least one moment at least one, in each of our lives where we need help from somebody else or something else. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've got, it doesn't matter how old you are, or how young you are, or anything. There will come one moment, at least, in your life where you need help from somebody else. Maybe a parent bailing you out. Maybe a friend coming to your rescue. You know, I've had that in the past where I got myself into fights at school and, you know, because I was Larry and I had a big gob. So, you know, I never went in with the intention of getting punched to pieces, but I'd go in with this big lip and I'd be like, all right, come on in, you know. And, and funnily enough, people would just go, <laughs> you know. And so I relied upon mates who would come to my rescue. That sounds a bit wimpish, doesn't it? So you're like, hang on. So I relied upon mates, that's better, who who kind of made me feel a bit bigger than I was. Have you noticed how basically every superhero story is basically the same? There's a hero and there's an arch baddie. And the world is a happy place, but then something bad happens. The hero comes in and kicks baddie butt. And then the hero is a bit flawed, like Superman's got his kryptonite and... Batman's not even a real superhero anyway. Um, And then he nearly gets beaten, or or maybe even is beaten. And it looks like all hope is lost. And then in the final scenes of the film, something glorious happens, and the superhero comes through, and he fights, and he wins, and he defeats the evil, and peace is restored. That's basically every superhero movie, isn't it? It's actually basically every sports movie as well. If you watch them, like, remember the Titans and films like that? It always starts off, you've got this lame team that are rubbish and they can't get their act together. And then some coach comes in and, or some star player comes in and, and the whole emphasis is on that hero bringing them together and making them better. And then it'll come to that crucial match towards the end of the film where they think that everything's coming together and going well and something will happen. And it all goes Pete Tong, and it all starts to go horribly, horribly wrong. And then in the final seconds of the game, 
they get to turn it around. Mm. Now, you've all watched those movies, haven't you? We really identify with the hero, don't we? Like, let's be honest, we really want to be the hero. We want the powers and the abilities and the invulnerability. Come on, admit it. You want to fly. (laughs) I know I I do. I know I do. But actually, even in reality, because obviously that's a bit stretched, you know, to your imagination, but even in reality, I hate it if things are going wrong at work and I'm the person that's making them go wrong. I hate that. What I love is if somebody else screws it up and then I come in and go, I know how to sort this out. (laughs) And sort it out. And then everyone's like, wow, you're so good. And, And you feel great about it. I love to be the hero. I know you do too. And uh, the truth is that these stories reflect something of reality. (coughs) But really, we know that we're not the hero, if we're honest. But the reality is this. The world was meant to be perfect. It was meant to be perfect. Actually, we were meant to be perfect. And, And you know this. Even if you don't believe in God, you know, you know. Because you see what's going on around the world and you know that's no good. You know that's not right. Today we're, we're, we're commemorating the end of a horrendous war. And with that, all wars where people have lost their lives. And we know that's not the way it should be. And for all that we could sing, all you need is love and all that kind of stuff. It's really words on a page or, or notes from our mouth. It doesn't mean anything because we have no power to make it actually happen. So you know that the world's meant to be better than it is. And actually, if we're honest, we know that we're meant to be better than we are. And that's why we invest so much money in trying to better ourselves. That's why there's so many self-help books out there. Because we want to get better. We want to be better. We want to develop ourselves. We want to be the best at our job. We want to be the best at our sport. We want to be the best. We know that there's more that we should be able to give. And when we can't give it, we get frustrated with ourselves and with people around us. Because we're powerless to change. We have limited ability even to change ourselves, if we're honest. And if you're not willing to step into the breach on this, I will, because I want to be a better person than I am. And as a pastor, I darn well should be. But, but the thing is, I, I'm just a human guy, and I stuff it up. Do you know, my wife is at the back, Jess, she's beautiful. I love her to bits. With all my heart, I love her. And I still somehow manage to say really stupid things to her and hurt her. Tell me that you're not the same as that. So we know that there's something wrong. And we know that ultimately we need rescue. We've all got an idea in, in our heads about how the world should be. But we recognise that our world is in a proper mess. I think most of us actually want to change that. But we also recognise that despite being able to do little bits and pieces here and there to try and make the world a better place, the scale of change needed is just too big. It's beyond our power. And so the world wants a hero. We want someone to come and change it. And that's why we celebrate the fictional heroes like Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, the Black Panther, whoever else all the Marvel characters, we celebrate them. It's also why we celebrate the real characters, the the Churchills. So what do we need rescue from? Surely there isn't such a thing as evil. Well, I believe that evil does exist, and that there are normally three responses to it, and the first response is this. We minimise it. We, We make out that it's not really there, it's not real, it doesn't exist, 
You know, uh, I don't know if you watch The Usual Suspects. Anyone remember that film? And, and the Kaiser Soze says something like, the, the, the greatest trick the devil ever played on the world was to convince the world that he didn't exist. The other response is that we overindulge in it, that, that we see it as this thing that we can play with, that we can grab power from. And actually, it comes from our heart because we want to be able to change things. We, we have good intentions. We want the world to be a better place. So we dabble with stuff. Or we overemphasize it. We see a demon under every bush and become kind of kooky, weird people. And the other thing that we could do is we could be above it. And to be above it means that we're self-righteous. I'm better than that. I'm, that's not me. I'm not that kind of person. I encourage you to recognize that evil exists and the evidence is overwhelming. Because <coughs> if we're honest, even the best of us, have the ability to do horrendous things. You don't have to be a Christian to be self-righteous. You don't have to be a religious person to be self-righteous. You, you, to be self-righteous, you need to see yourself as better. I'm better than that person. I'm better than that person. I'm better than that group. I've got it together more than they have. And, and actually, if I'm honest, sometimes I, I do look at people that way. I'm, being, I'm just tripping it all back here. And, and the truth is we all do. At some point, think that we're better than somebody else. That's self-righteousness. That's what it is. It's not just bigoted kind of religious nuts that are self-righteous. We all have the capacity to be self-righteous. And we're all capable of doing really horrible things. Maybe even we get to justify them and put a label on them. Because if somebody, if somebody laid a hand on my wife, I, I can't... I can't say that I could account for my actions after that in a sensible and honest, loving way. I know I'm capable of horrendous things. So we need a way to be delivered from evil, and we even need a way to be delivered, rescued from ourselves and our own behaviour. And in a nutshell, that's what the Bible is all about. We need a saviour. I'm really coming to the end of this now, but... I don't know if you've heard this story about the Red Sea and Jesus parting the sea. And if you haven't seen that, you've probably seen Bruce Almighty where he does a mini version with a bowl of soup. Uh, and he kind of like, ooh, parts the sea. Now, that's a story, not the soup, the actual sea, is in the Bible. It's in the book of Exodus. And, and what God does is he parts the Red Sea. And the reason he does it is to help people escape from an oppressor a dictatorship, a hard slave-driving ruler. So God opens up the sea as their only means of rescue so that the people can just go straight through on dry ground. And then what he does is he drops the sea in on the people that were chasing them. So not only did he give them safe passage, but he also dealt with their enemies who were in pursuit. And actually, the same thing is true for us today. We need rescue. We need a way to make it safe across to the other side where God intended us to be. And we can't swim it ourselves. Saving lives at sea. You're out there. You're in the middle of the ocean. You can't swim hard enough or fast enough or have enough energy to get to the shore, to get to safety. You need somebody to come out there and rescue you. And we're trying to be better. We're trying to be good. But however good we are, it's not ever good enough. We need rescue. And the problem is that God... Though he created us, he created you, and he loves you. We, we can't even put a measure on how much he loves you. But he's also perfect, and we're far from perfect. We know it. 
We need somebody good enough who is prepared to put themselves on the line for us. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He died so that despite our pursuers of brokenness and sinfulness, we could cross safely on dry ground. He literally took our sin and our shame upon himself. And in doing so, he put that to death. He was buried so that death itself can be drowned forever. And he was raised to life so that we can be raised to life new with him. God created you and he loves you. We decided to go our own way. And now we're in a mess and we need rescue. And Jesus is the rescue. And so that's the reason that you're all here today. Because it demonstrates, this baptism demonstrates being washed and cleansed from all the things that we've done. Not, not from physical dirt. And not grime and not, not that, but from our failings. From our sinfulness. Even, even the things that we've done that nobody else knows about. There's nothing magic about this water. There's nothing special about it. It smells slightly of TCP. Okay? It's, it's warm, but I haven't... Oh, kind of blessed it this morning. That hasn't happened. And when they go into the water, there's, there's, there's nothing magical going to happen in there. But what they're saying is that I'm going to die with Jesus. And I'm going to be buried with him. Just for about five minutes. <laughs> and then, then I'm going to be raised, sorry, back to life in Christ. It's about new life. It's a declaration that we need rescue. These ladies are declaring they need rescue, that they can't help themselves. It's an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is their rescuer. It's an identification with the method that he has used to deliver them. When they go into the water, representing Jesus' death. When they're under the water, and representing his burial, his three days in the ground. And then rising to life. Because Jesus can raise you to new life. If you're sick of the way that you behave at times, or if you're right out in the middle of your own ocean and you don't know when help is coming, you can call on Jesus today and he will be there and he will rescue you. So please, please don't think it's arrogant and please feel free to 100% disagree with everything that I've said today. But just ask yourself this, is, is it true that you want to be better than you are? And is it true that you know no matter what you do, you're not going to get there on your own merit? And is it true that you know that this world is messed up and that it needs someone to fix it? Are you sick of the way the world is and do you want to see something different? Jesus is the answer to that. I have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's the difference. I'm not better than you. I'm not better than you. I just recognise actually how bad I am. 